0: And greetings. Thank you so much for joining us here, right here on The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. And you can always find out more by visiting our website at naturalnurse.com. And of course, we bring you classes and workshops and lectures and books. And all kinds of information, as well as our radio shows. I think we have over a thousand radio shows, which are now there. They're called podcasts. Um, But when we started the radio shows in 1987, they used to be called radio shows. Nonetheless, Um, we have so many classes and workshops. One of the best ways to find them is go to naturalnurse.com under calendar, because there we have a list of our up and coming classes. For instance, we have one coming up called Love Your Liver, Botanical Detoxification, and almost all of our classes offer three CE units, and that would be for nurses, nurse practitioners, registered dietitians, clinical nutritionists, licensed massage therapists, uh, acupuncturists, and midwives. Any of those would get three CEUs if you'd like them by taking our classes. But the classes are open to anyone. So if you don't need the CEUs, then you just get a certificate that you attended. And of course, you get the knowledge of understanding how to, in this case, detoxify your liver using herbs. And then we have Hildegard study groups once a month, and those are completely free, where we delve into the amazing historical figure of Hildegard, who was a master herbalist. Of course, she wouldn't be called an herbalist. She was called a master scientist. In fact, she was the head scientist in Germany in her day, which was back in the year 1000 something. And of course, um, there was nothing in terms of medicine other than herbal medicine and spiritual and sound healing and gemstone therapy. That is what she taught. And she actually wrote books about it. She also was a composer and composed healing music. And she used all of that in her clinic to help heal people. It sounds like you know, sort of 101 of holistic medicine today, but she did it long ago. So we have a once a month totally open and free study group where different people, many of whom know a lot more about Hildegard than I do, um, sharing their knowledge. So that's completely open. Just go to naturalnurse.com calendar and you'll see how to sign up for that. And then We have one called Sugar Blues Botanicals for Glycemic Support coming up and uh, all kinds of different classes. We have one on Herb Magic. We also have on-ground classes just starting back. We have our Chinatown Herb Walk Tour in New York City on October 17th. That's coming right up. And by the way, that would be our 45th year of giving the fall season Chinatown Herb Walk Tour in New York City. But last year, uh, nope. But this year we are back and we are outside and safe and we'd love for you to join us. We also have a whole new section on our website at naturalnurse.com. And um, that is actually a place that you can look for many of the different classes that we have. And it's called Natural Nurse Academy. It's under services. And then you can go to Natural Nurse Academy. And what we have at Natural Nurse Academy are all kinds of classes that are archived that you can take such as opiates, the problem, natural solutions, scientific validation of herbal medicine, breathe easy, botanicals for lung health and respiratory support, birth control and fertility, choosing our reproductive life path, botanical remedies for pain and inflammation, and on and on. All kinds of classes, all of them are available for three CEUs, for any health professionals, Or you can just take them for your own knowledge. And also, if any of you are interested in becoming a registered herbalist, that's an RN, a registered, I'm sorry, an RH, a registered herbalist, I actually am a mentor who take people through that process. And whether or not you... um, interact with me as your mentor or someone else as your mentor, or you even can work on your RH without a mentor, still those classes that I just explained all have credits that go towards your registered herbalist certificate. So lots of ways to interact and do get in touch at naturalnurse.com. Contact me if you'd like to discuss any of those more, or just go ahead and look online about it. Now we're going to bring our board, our guest today, Dr. Jeff Conan. So Dr. Jeff Conan, you're going to have to unmute yourself. There you go. He knows that. And Dr. Jeff Conan is a clinical professor at Florida International University in Miami, Florida, not far from my Home digs in New York, which is Deerfield Beach, Florida. He is also the president and founder of PHD420, a non-for-profit focusing on cannabis education and research. And that organization is located in Clearwater, Florida. Dr. Conan is a physical therapist and athletic trainer who has worked with amateur into collegiate professional and olympic athletes he spent time in the united states olympic committee system in lake placid new york colorado springs and the olympic games in atlanta back in 1996 He's also the co-editor of 24 textbooks and has shared his expertise at professional conferences throughout the United States, as well as internationally. Jeff advises individual athletes, healthcare professionals, sports organizations, and companies within the cannabis industry. Nationally, he serves as the chair of the Cannabis Task Force for the National Athletic Trainers Association. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Jeff.
1: Good morning, Alan. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Now, we have a lot of time. You don't have to rush through our topic for today. So I want to go back in time and see if you can share with us from little boy Jeff's perspective, um, how did you get into this field and become really a leader? Not so much the cannabis, but just, you know, personal training to start out with.
1: Uh, Well, let's see. Um, Gosh, where to start? I mean, as somebody uh, growing up as an individual interested in sports, but not possessing the talents to play at a level that would uh, pay the bills, uh, many of us find alternatives. And so, you know, some go into sports media and sports business, and I opted for sports medicine. And the, the aspect that I chose was athletic training, which by the way, is very different than personal training. Uh, personal training is more of a certificate type educational approach, many different, uh, certifications, whereas athletic training is a, a complete degree, uh, uh, athletic trainers work, uh, alongside of physicians very closely. And, um, today to practice an athletic training, one needs a minimum of a master's degree and then national certification. And so I was uh, fascinated uh, with athletics and I was fascinated with the body and I had a great opportunity to put those together. Um, As far as uh, being a leader uh, in this area, you know, I don't know that anybody starts out when they're 22 or 23 years old, and they come out of college and and have some quest to be a leader. I mean, maybe some do and some set goals, but I think it's better when it comes natural. And for me, I had just some amazing mentors, and I was given some amazing opportunities. And I learned uh, how to capitalize on those and take advantage of those at the same time. You know, we always teach people know when to say no. um, But the opportunities that I had really allowed me to Uh, enhance my networking, enhance my experiences. And I think over time, like in any profession, they build on each other. And so here I am full circle, uh, some 30 plus years after that beginning. And, uh, you know, you have an accumulation of experiences and accomplishments. And I think that also whenever somebody does something that um, generates publicity such as writing books or giving presentations, uh, and you know your your persona, your name is is magnified a little bit in your profession. So that has a little bit to do with it. Um, I think a lot of people can write books. I'm not the best writer, but I had some great editors to help me put my ideas in print. And so I think you put all that together and, and here we are today. Uh, in terms of the, the cannabis space. Wow. Um, I don't know about you, but I think everybody has a story, right? How, yeah. But, how well, you, well right? Yeah, I'm
0: going to, I'm going to let me bring up mine and how I got to you. Okay. okay. Because of course I have a very long path and professional development. Many of my listeners know about that. You and I have not met yet, but I hope to meet up with you in Florida. So I've been doing holistic medicine actually for over 50 years, a very long time. But in terms of the cannabis connection, I'm on the education committee for the American Cannabis Nurses Association. And also um, another organization is the American Herbal Products Association, And I'm on their cannabis committee as well. So I'm very deeply involved in looking now at the research about cannabis, which is just exploding. And I was actually asked to review a presentation that you will be giving at the American Cannabis Nurses Association. So that's how I got to you because I thought your presentation was so excellent. And I'd love to know who does your slides. Is that you or do you have a professional slide person? Oh my God. No,
1: it's me. That is
0: amazing. As someone who makes slides every day, I could use some of your techniques. You have a beautiful picture that really sums it up on your first slide. Um, on the presentation that you are going to give and we will talk about today also in terms of cannabis and performance enhancement. And I imagine you mean athletic, right? Because that's what you are. What does the research show? And on your front slide, you have a beautiful world with a cannabis leaf on it. So you're talking about things internationally. And then you have a magnifying glass with the word evidence. And that is great. Because also the evidence is changing as we do more and more studies. But you're taking a deep dive into what we know now from an evidence-based perspective.
1: Yeah, you know, so that uh, I don't really, I appreciate the accolades. I don't know that I possess the technical skills for slide development uh, compared to (laughs) others that I see. I'm very jealous of, actually. Um, (laughs) But, you know, um, the interesting thing about that presentation, which um, I will be giving shortly uh, in about, what, three weeks time in Albuquerque or so, um, I'm excited to present that. That's uh, when I say a live presentation, what I mean by that is, and you know this all too well, literally every month I'm updating those slides because more studies are coming out. We're learning things uh, in the cannabis space. Uh, organizations are changing their policy and their rules as a result of what we're learning. And so, boy, I wish like some presentations, I can just pick that up and go on a roadshow and not have to update slides too much because not much has changed. But in this particular topic, and yes, you're right, I focus more on sport performance, but there's certainly a direct correlation it doesn't have to be a professional sport athlete. It could be a, an amateur, a weekend warrior, just you know plays tennis at the club locally in town or or anything along those lines. And, and some of the studies that we're doing now, we're actually looking at college students and their test taking. In other words, uh, can various forms of cannabis, mostly right now what we're studying are non-THC based products uh, such as CBG or CBN or CBD. But can any of these, help reduce their anxiety or increase their focus uh, during test taking.
0: All right. I have to stop you there, Dr. Jeff. I have to stop you there because now this is some specific information that may expand the conscious understanding about the full cannabis field for our listeners, you know, because you're throwing around these terms, CBD, CBN, CBG, not everyone understands what they are. So why don't we, you know, start with that in terms of that discussion? What is what do we don't what do we not have in those things? For instance, THC.
1: Well, well, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: You go ahead. You tell us that.
1: (laughs) So what what we do know is that there's this natural plant and that uh, almost as each day goes by, we're learning something new about the components of the plant. And we know that the the cannabis plant has more of an abundance of THC and CBD. And this has been sort of, uh, I guess, if you say cannabis education 101 is to explain the differences between those two. And in its most generic terms, we say that THC is the psychoactive property of the plant. And so you can utilize THC in various forms of application and dosages. And then here are the effects that will have on your body. And then we talk about CBD in a similar manner. But we say that while it could have similar or slightly different effects on the body, it doesn't have that euphoric or that high effect that THC does. And so as we dive into the plant deeper, we learned that these are two of the so-called cannabinoids within the plant and that there are many, many, many others. Now, these are typically referred to as the major cannabinoids because they're in a greater abundance. And then there's a whole bunch of others that are called minor cannabinoids like the CBN or the CBG and many, many others. And so as we start to identify these others, we are able to isolate them and study them. And then there are others that probably have yet to even been identified or recently identified and not yet been studied. And so there's so much more to learn here. And what we're doing with with our labs and our research team, which I'd be happy to talk about more, is um, look at some of these isolated cannabinoids, not just THC, not just CBD, and see if on their own, or even in some combination with each other, there are some benefits or even potential risks Uh, That they might have on individuals. And I guess, you know, how I like to look at this for our listeners to simplify is right now you can walk down the aisles of a drugstore and you'll see the vitamin aisle. And the vitamin aisle has a multivitamin. And that multivitamin to me is analogous to the entire cannabis plant. But then as you keep walking down the aisle, you'll see vitamin A and vitamin C and vitamin D. And of course over, over time we have learned that each of these individual vitamins have a function a very specific function and I think that's where we are in the earliest stages of the game of understanding cannabis that it's similar to a multivitamin or the components of a multivitamin.
0: That's an excellent analogy. That can really, you know, help people understand that we're talking about the whole plant, but within the plant, there are different components. And as science moves forward, there are actually being studies done. Like you have evidence, which changes over time, right? Um, right? Because one study can bring out one thing, and then there could be a study that almost shows the opposite, which is always true in uh, science and uh, scientific explorations. But then we get a consensus of the evidence. And that they are starting to study the varying effects of these different components that are all within this same, let's say, hemp plant. Right. What right. is your view, just personally? And and not to hold you to it, but perhaps there is um, a more standard definition, because since I am obviously deeply involved in this field as well, you know, with the use of the term, what is the difference? of the name of the plant that does not contain the THC and the plant that does. Because sometimes they say marijuana and yeah. hemp. But now marijuana seems to have, you know, a negative connotation cu- culturally.
1: No, you're correct. Um, you know, this is the most interesting part to me. There's certainly a lot of terms that are thrown around and they're interchanged perhaps appropriately or inappropriately. Um, but if you go back to, I can't recall exactly, I think it was the 70s, One of the original articles was written to describe hemp, uh, and I should say to define hemp. And the authors said arbitrarily that for the purposes of our paper, we will define hemp as being uh, 0.3% or less of THC within the plant. And that has lived on over the course of time to now differentiate what we call each of these plants, whether we call it the the actual marijuana or cannabis plant or the hemp plant. But there really actually is from the beginning, no evidence to even define hemp. And so I'm anxious on uh, hopefully sometime in the near future, putting together a provocative type paper that can be uh, spread virally for all to see that even from the beginning, we haven't defined the terms well, including what we call the plant. Um, and as we evolve, and as we look at even folks that are uh, creating synthetic type cannabinoids, that the language, I think, will continue to evolve as well. So for me personally, I really don't use the term marijuana. However, I do work in athletics. And in athletics, a lot of the language that's still in the policies and the rules and the drug testing, they do use the words marijuana. Uh, And in fact, they might say, for example, that all cannabinoids are banned for usage. But the truth of the matter is the only thing they can test for is THC. So one of my major goals is education. It's not just educating the patient. It's educating the the organizational leaders and the policymakers, all the people who are in positions of influence to better understand a standard language and the facts. And while some of the facts continue to evolve, some of them are very, very basic and people don't understand those. And I think that's a lot of what's holding us back in being able to explore more science related to the cannabis plant as a whole to be able to listen to the patients. So you're a nurse and I'm just going to take a wild guess that regardless of when you went to school and when I went to school and even students who are graduating today, this year, we were all taught, listen to your patients, listen to your patients. You can learn a lot from what they tell you yet in this world. Now, as it relates to the use of cannabis, People are telling us everywhere that they're getting benefits, yet the people in decision-making positions are not listening to them. And so that's the part where I become an advocate. Yes, I'm involved as a a neutral person looking at the research and what it shows. But from an advocacy, advocacy standpoint, I talk to people all over the place, as I'm sure you do. I call these people my N of one. N meaning a number. And when we do research, we often say, well, we studied, say, 25 people. That would be an N of 25. But here, across my travels, I talk to that N of 1, who's their own individual case study or research study, and they're telling me the benefits. Now, you said something that was really fascinating uh, that I loved. And that is, the first thing I hear is, well, there's no studies out there. And then we put a study out there, and they say, okay, well, that's only one. And then there's another one that says the opposite of that. And you're right. That's typically what happens with research findings. And you can turn on the television and learn this about coffee and chocolate and everything else, right? One day, everyone says this is good. The next day, they say it's bad. And you're probably going to see the same pattern come out as we start to study cannabis and learn more about it.
0: That's also true. Now, I'm wondering if you have had a chance, and and if you haven't, I'm going to send it to you, in terms of the American Herbal Products Association have released a hemp lexicon, which is an attempt to help everyone standardize definitions and verbiage about this topic. Have you had a chance to look at that?
1: No, I'm not familiar with it. So I look forward to you sending it my way.
0: I am. And, and we are, you know, focusing on it being a living document and asking for input from people like yourself who are knowledgeable so that just what you said is really confusing to individuals. If you're in the field and see a plant that is called a hemp plant or a plant, I'm taking it that rather than use the word marijuana, you're using the word natural a natural cannabis plant? Like what word would you use for that higher THC plant?
1: So, yeah, that's a great question. So I'm using the term cannabis plant period. And then I'm not really defining the plant in the same way you are, uh, more so defining it based on its, uh, components and then its utilization. So typically what we see in our world is, uh, Yes, there's the hemp plant, which is that non-THC-based component. Then we have the marijuana, which has its two components, either formal from a medicinal perspective or adult use, which we no longer refer to, uh, or trying not to refer to as recreational. And then even recently, I just came back from a conference in Boston uh, of pharmaceutical-based cannabis, which are all synthetic products. And so, in those cases, they're synthetically making and reproducing CBD and THC, and it's not coming from the plant itself. And so, I think I really look forward to reading your document because I think one of the interesting components of what we do in healthcare is um, while we do our best for accomplishing what we call interprofessional collaboration, um, we differ in everything from what we call some units of measurement. And in this case, the plant and how we document even. And so um, if we were to ever be able to come up with a consensus of language and terminology, I think that would be a great starting point. As simple as it sounds, it's not easy to do. And Listen, so, no, and, it's and not.
0: You inform me of something. That's why I love doing this radio show. I'm always learning. Um, You informed me about something I did not know in terms of where that differentiation came from, just an old paper in terms of that, you know, 0.3% cutoff. Because when you look at the two plants, I will tell you from a botanist point of view, they look identical.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely agree. And I think that's where, you know, here's the interesting thing. If you talk about anything else in our world that's been helpful for, any kind of health or medicinal purposes, right? Whether you're talking about Advil or uh, rosemary, whatever it is, when have we ever as a general population or as even healthcare providers got into the chemical component of those and broken them down and had such stigma against them? We haven't, but for some reason, this is fascinating. Uh, I'm a clinician, right? I'm a practitioner, Yes, I educate and I teach because I have a credential and some training to do that. But at the end of the day, the start and the bulk of my career was in application working with patients. There's nothing else that I work with as a tool or a product where I've dove into the chemical beginnings of the product. Uh, I attend, as I'm sure you and others do, I attend cannabis cultivation conferences. I mean, I've not done that with anything else in my sports medicine field, but I think that this is bigger. This gives us an opportunity to better understand holistically from what we call seed to sell or seed to application, right? What is this? And I'm going to send you that article so you can see it because when it was brought to my attention, it's in one of my slides. I can't recall if it's in the actual presentation you saw but I quote that paragraph in that slide because the word arbitrary is used. We arbitrary came up with this term and that's how we define it. And by the way, it's defined in dry weight terms. And when we take that plant and we convert it from dry weight to other substances for delivery and application, it might be less than that 0.3 or it might even tip over that 0.3 at which point in time, my law technically is no longer hemp.
0: Well, that is fascinating, Dr. Conan. And we're going to take a little break right here on the natural medicine chest. And I'd like you to know you're listening to your host, me, Ellen Kamai, the natural nurse. You can find us at naturalnurse.com and Dr. Jeff Conan who is a clinical professor at Florida International University and the president and founder of Ph.D. 420, which we'll ask him about when we get back from break. We will be right back with more right here on The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z.
2: On this edition of The Natural Medicine Chest, we'll explore the medicinal properties of the plants of the ephedra genera, focusing on the traditional Chinese ephedra, also known as mahuang.
3: Many species of the plant ephedra are used today in medicine throughout the world. The most medicinal of these are ephedra sinica, or Chinese mahuang, and ephedra nevadensis, also known as Mormon tea. Most of the research on ephedra has been performed on mahuang, whose stems and branches have been used as a traditional Chinese medicine for over 5,000 years in the treatment of asthma, hay fever, bronchitis, as well as the common cold.
2: Ephedra species are erect evergreen shrubs which grow in segmented bamboo-like joints reminiscent of straw ending in thin wisps. They typically are desert plants, preferring arid conditions on dry, rocky, and sandy slopes. The Chinese ephedra, mahuang, has earned an impressive reputation as a source of the alkaloid chemical called ephedrine. In the West, scientists became interested in the medicinal usage of mahuang after they isolated ephedrine and pseudoephedrine in 1923. Today, synthetic derivatives have become widely used in prescription and over-the-counter medications. In 1993, over 40 million prescriptions in the U.S. contained these alkaloids.
3: Ephedra and its relatives are considered to act pharmacologically as sympathomimetic compounds. This means that they stimulate the sympathetic part of our central nervous system, responsible for the release of adrenaline, which leads to the fight-or-flight response. Ephedra also affects the cardiovascular system by increasing the blood pressure, and causes a relaxation and dilation of the bronchial smooth muscles in asthmatics. Ephedra can shrink the swelling of the delicate mucous membranes which line the respiratory system, thus drying up watery discharges, unstuffing clogged nasal and sinus passages, which accompany colds, sinus conditions, and allergies.
2: In both animal and human studies, Mahuang has been shown to accelerate weight loss. It has been shown not only to suppress appetite, but to increase the metabolic activity of the adipose or fat tissue. Therefore, ephedra's weight-reducing effects are most significant in individuals who have a low metabolic rate or a sluggish thyroid gland.
3: Mahuang is a powerful herb which, when abused, can cause some unwanted side effects. Ephedra should not be taken by those with high blood pressure, nervousness or anxiety, insomnia cardiac conditions, or pregnancy. Studies indicate that when used in conjunction with other Chinese herbs in a traditional formula, ma huang does not have any of these effects and has remarkable beneficial effects on human health.
2: We recommend consulting a healthcare practitioner knowledgeable in the use of botanical medicine before using ma so you can be further educated about its totality of effects and before using herbal preparations with Mahuang, check to see if you are sensitive to its effects by starting with the minimal dose and working up to a therapeutic dose. Logically, since ephedra is a stimulant itself, it should be used prudently with other stimulants, beverages, or drugs with stimulant effects. Again, consult with your natural healthcare practitioner.
3: So, listeners, remember Mahuang, the traditional Chinese ephedra, and make sure to include it In your natural medicine chest.
0: And welcome back once again to The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. You can always find us at naturalnurse.com and you can also get in touch with us there. Also Facebook The Natural Nurse and you can take a look at our up and coming classes on calendar. And in general, we love to hear from you. Today, we're so happy to have as our guest, Dr. Jeff Conan, who is a clinical professor at Florida International University. And of course, he's involved in many, many different aspects. For instance, the Global Initiative for Cannabinoid Research and Education. Dr. Jeff, what is that?
1: So that's an initiative that we launched at Florida International University in Miami, where our leadership uh, was very supportive and recognized that there's a growing trend of interest in the cannabis space. And uh, the state of Florida has been uh, very progressive. As you know, the commissioner of agriculture, Dr. Nikki Freed, has been very proactive in the hemp industry, particularly related to farmers after the farm bill was passed and uh, allowing them opportunities to enhance their products and exportations. And from our standpoint as a university, you know we simply recognize the fact that people want to be educated on this topic. So we're in healthcare but certainly there's opportunities in, in, in cannabis business and cannabis uh, marketing and communications and banking and lots of different areas, certainly chemistry and, and biology. But from our standpoint, in um, what we, we're housed in what's called the Nicole Wertheim College of Nursing and Health Sciences, We thought that we should take a lead as healthcare providers, and so we put a team of individuals together. We have many of our students involved in the projects that we're doing, and we provide education to the community. Uh, This, uh, What I'm doing with you here today is part of our outreach as well to be involved anywhere we can from a public relations perspective. We put out educational materials, and we also study the products. And we're in the early phases of some of our studies because uh, the last year and a half, we've been living in this COVID world, right? And so COVID has restricted us from doing direct uh, research with patients one-on-one. Uh, so we've done a little bit of this through a virtual mode and, and through technological applications where they'll report back to us through the app, um, their perceptions and feelings of some of the products we've given them. But you know, one of the really important things is this, as you start to look, at the products that are being put out there. The industry, the businesses that make these products, develop them in-house, and they study them in-house and decide what they want to put out there. But in terms of science and what we do, what we call peer-reviewed evidence, that doesn't cut it, meaning them producing their own product and saying, yes, this is good and it works, it wasn't reviewed by independent parties and people that would scrutinize this to make sure that there wasn't a bias. So what we've done is we've partnered with other companies that make products and we will actually test their products. And as I alluded to earlier, we'll test the different cannabinoids. Primarily right now is our focus is on pain, anxiety, inflammation, and sleep, and even any combination of these, how they relate to one's performance. And then when we do the studies and we have our findings, our goal is to present these findings at conferences and to publish them. So now uh, we learn the exact role of some of these cannabinoids with respect to these types of conditions. And if there's efficacy behind them, if there are truly any side effects that we have to worry about acutely, and that adds credibility to those products and to those companies, which they are screaming for to get the credibility in the healthcare world amongst our professionals.
0: Well, that's a big, that's a, a big, let's say, vision for that organization. That's fantastic. So I'm interested, too, and this could be a personal opinion, because you said you just went to a pharmaceutical industries uh, conference. And they're going to, of course, come out with synthetic, similar action. How do you think that will actually affect the availability of the natural products? Because with other things, it has interfered with that.
1: That's a great question. Um, I think, and yes, this is my personal opinion, I think that there's going to be room in this world in the future for everyone to play in. And I can tell you this, that the um, chemists and scientists that I interacted with recently at this pharmaceutical conference, they're not big fans of the existing cannabis world because they don't believe that the products that are out there have undergone the same level of scrutiny and testing and consistency and have true formal guidelines to adhere to like what they do in their labs. And so... um, I I could sense that discomfort there. Um, At the same time, when they put their products out in the future that are synthetically based, their goals are different. Their goals are that these products will be medicine and that they will be prescribed, not as they are now recommended, but they will be prescribed by your physician and that they will be covered under insurance, And so while there might be a place for that in the future, you know, insurance companies have to decide if they're going to cover these or not. Uh, Physicians have to decide if they'll be knowledgeable and supportive of these products or not. But I think where there will still be a market for the natural products is I I don't think the consumer, A, wants to add that uh, physician in the middle. And I don't think, B, they want to pay for more drugs, through a pharmaceutical insurance route that right now they have uh, better access. And, you know, let's be honest here. There's a lot of people who don't believe in this. They don't believe in natural cannabis of any form and they have whatever, for every reason, views are negative towards it. What piqued my attention from day one and what still does is that if this doesn't work, why are people still, Buying products, and why are they still claiming they feel better? Uh, you know, you might come across one person here and there that tells you that, and you can say, ah, it's placebo. But there can't be that many placebos out there, yeah. and so I, I don't see the average citizen who's found a comfortable home here with natural products shifting over so quickly if synthetic ones become available.
0: No, that's true. But my question is, I, I have seen this happen where once the drug company puts something on, and here's a perfect example. There's something you're probably familiar with called a PDO-X, yes, which is already a cannabidiol uh, isolate, which is actually being marketed as a pharmaceutical specifically for, I believe, seizures in children, believe it or not. And they one of the reasons that the use of the word CBD is limited on commercial products is because that the drug exists.
1: Right. Right. So here's trivia for the audience. And this goes back partially to the uh, approving of epidemics. In the history of CBD, as we know it, there is only one patent that has ever existed that has been granted. And it was granted as part of the application, tens of thousands of research articles to support CBD. Do you know who owns, or I should say owned, because it was granted in 2003. It was a 15-year patent that expired in 2018. and wasn't renewed. But do you want to take a guess who owned that patent?
0: Should I take a guess? (laughs) No, I'll let you tell us. I'm
1: putting you on the spot here. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) The federal government. Wow. So the federal government knew decades ago that there is benefit from CBD.
0: Oh my goodness! And That's the patent, and you can look
1: this up. It's it's public knowledge. And the patent was for uh, the use of CBD primarily as a neuroprotective agent. And so the idea behind neuroprotective agent meaning that there are some diseases people have that are neuroprogressive, meaning over the course of time the nervous system deteriorates more and more and more. So what are those? Multiple sclerosis, ALS, things that we're all very, very familiar with. And so government knows and other researchers know that CBD has neuroprotective properties. And honestly, that's where my interest started because in working with sports concussions and any other head injury of a concussion nature for that matter, Those are based on changes of the neural cells as one component of why a concussion doesn't get better. And so my question was, can CBD facilitate the healing of concussions? And we don't know that answer. There are people studying this right now and have had some preliminary positive results in animal models, but we don't know the answer yet. And and in all honesty, up until the farm bill passed, We really didn't have it easy to study CBD products because CBD products were labeled in the same classification as THC products as uh, federal schedule one drugs, meaning they're the same classification as heroin and LSD. Are you kidding me? So there's no chance that, for example, my university would accept a proposal for a study where I said, uh, I'm going to take these 30 people and- 10 of them I'm going to give LSD to and 10 of them I'm going to give heroin to. They just wouldn't let that happen. So certainly they weren't going to let me study CBD. But now the doors are open. That law made a big difference for us to start looking at CBD and its effects on humans.
0: It is really amazing the rapid change that is um, going on in in this entire industry. And, you know, in, in terms of what you're talking about with helping people, You know, for instance, my mom sleeps so much better just with the use of, you know, a a CBD oil type product. And the ones that I always choose don't say CBD oil on the front, since that is uh, perhaps legally questionable. Because the FDA has certain labeling rules, which everyone isn't following. So some of the better um, companies that are interested in following rules will say hemp flower extract on the front. Right, right. And that gets around calling it out as CBD. So it's extremely complicated. Tell us about the fact that you are also, because you're very bored in life and have nothing to do, I guess, (laughs) that you are also the president and founder of PhD420 Incorporated. Tell us about that part of your project.
1: Yes, that is uh, a fun part of my life. Uh, When I when I started going down this road of uh, my interest in all things cannabis, uh, I needed a platform, Uh, wasn't ready to just run into a university and say, hey, let's jump into the cannabis space. That wasn't going to be too easy. So I started a company of my own and what I did was I created a non for profit company and the goal here was to raise funds uh, to support some research as well as to support education, Uh, education in two forms. Education, one, to uh, hire some people to help collect information to put on the website to disseminate to the readers. And then two, for my own purposes, because I I don't care how much you know, there's so much more that each of us don't know in this field. And so those funds would support me to continue to travel to conferences and meet others and interact with them and create partnerships and establishments. The actual name of the company, PhD420, is just a a play on words for me to have fun with. Um, uh, You know, this is an interesting uh, area, obviously. And when I go to a cannabis conference, uh, we all understand each other. Everybody drinks the Kool-Aid and the conversations are easy. When I go to a health conference, I'm usually in the minority of the viewpoints here. And I'm educating, 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 convincing and influencing and all those things. So I put together a name, a PhD, referring to my, my PhD and doctorate degree. And 420, the one of the earliest nicknames of the many nicknames for uh, marijuana. And so PhD 420 evolved. Um, uh, my son is a, an artist, so he created the wonderful logo for me. And uh, PhD 420 is my license plate. It's my logo on my kayak. It's uh, a lot of things that I have as I branded it. It's a lot of fun. Um, and um, people have come to know me as the the Ph.D. 420 guy. Um, but part of that, too, is I asked uh, another trivia. I like trivia, love trivia. So where did the term 420 come from? And there's two beliefs.
0: That's a great question. And I wondered is, it, that myself. <laughs>
1: And everyone knows the term. Well, not everyone, but most people know the term and most uh, just, you know, glow past uh, the term itself. So there's two beliefs. One is that um, on April 20th, one year in the UK, there was a big coming out party uh, related to smoking marijuana on that April 20th. And now annually on April 20th, there is a, a still a big party in London. Um, the second is that and maybe both of these are true. Is that on college campuses in the United States, uh, back in the 60s and 70s, at, um, every afternoon uh, at 420, the um, students would be out there smoking, and that's when the police were called by the university at uh, 420, and so I don't, you know, maybe oh. these maybe these are urban <laughs> legends. I don't know if they're urban <laughs> legends or what, but um, that but the terms hold true today. And and so that's kind of how PhD was four twenty was born, and and what we do right now. And uh, I also try to give lots of opportunities if uh, there's students uh, in various uh, academic programs that want uh, research opportunities or internships or things like that we can bring them on board, even from a distance, wherever they live, we can give them some work to do and teach them uh, what they want to know and and help them build their resumes uh, at this point of their careers. Well,
0: that is fantastic that you have all those different avenues. Well, we're going to take one more little break right here on The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. And when we come back, we will continue our discussion with Dr. Jeffrey Conan. We'll be right back with more. And welcome back once again, right here on The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. We have a few more minutes left with our fascinating guest, Dr. Jeffrey Conan. And Dr. Conan, we will have on our archive links to how people can find you and your work. But what would you say the best website is?
1: So the best place to find me is at Florida International University. And probably the easiest thing to do because these are Heavily navigated web pages is just simply type my name in, K O N I N, at FIU somewhere, and uh, that'll come up to my homepage there. Also, if you just type in uh, FIU Global Cannabis, that'll take you to our Global Initiative page. And uh, I want to throw one more plug in here for a website to refer people to that I'm one of the organizers for the first ever conference that we're aware of nas- internationally on Cannabis and Sports. And uh, we're hosting this in Orlando. It's going to be next summer, July 29 to 31, 2022 in Orlando. But if you uh, go to cannabisinsportsconference.org, cannabisinsportsconference.org, the website is already public and uh, you can start to register. You can start to exhibit. Uh, We will have athletes, coaches, general managers, sports agents, and scientists and practitioners all involved here to have some uh, great discussion, uh, revealing of the current evidence, and also the landscape of what's happening in these organizations relative to the policies and where we think the future will be with all things cannabis. We're, we're really excited about this conference and uh, we've got a lot of interest so far. And We've got, you know, many, many months before it happens, but we want to get it on everybody's radar because we can see uh, this growing to be something very large because of the interest in sports. And, you know, I'll say this is that I fully believe that what happens in sport trickles down to all others because it has a platform. Right. It has it's one of the sections on the news. It's one of the sections in a newspaper. And what we see, for example, professional athletes or Olympic athletes or others doing. And, and I can give you so many examples ranging from when you saw Olympic volleyball players years ago wear kinesio tape uh, on beach volleyball, then the rest of the world learned about kinesio tape.
0: It works great. That's right? that, uh, it's it, amazing with no side and, effects.
1: And we've used it for years, but most of the public didn't catch on. And, and you can look at uh, Breathe Right, another example of something that's out there. And then when uh, football players use it in the Super Bowl and they saw it on TV, then people use that. And so there is this trickle down effect. And so that's why we think if we can help navigate the landscape of sports and where cannabis does or doesn't fit in there you know, relative to its performance, but relative just to its it's equilibrium. We didn't talk anything today about the the endocannabinoid system which is the balance system. But well,
0: we will. We'll, we'll we'll do another show specifically focusing on sports as we get closer to that conference so you can talk
1: about Great. that. Great. So anyway, so that's the the cannabis and sports conference
0: yeah it's it's amazing even the presentation that i got to see which of course as you said is being updated constantly that you're bringing together so much of your knowledge and expertise with those two things which is a real focus on sports and um even in the research that you're gathering it's not all just positive which i think a lot of people who have just done let's say uh marijuana or a pot or whatever you want to call it, recreationally, sometimes it doesn't make you feel like getting up and doing a whole lot. <laughs> so that performance aspect is interesting, but it might help you get a better night's sleep the night before.
1: Yes, and, and you know, if you want to talk briefly outside the sports world, relative to what you just said, get a better night's sleep the night before, um, the challenges that the citizens have today is that you could actually do that but then you can go to work Monday morning after a good night's sleep and be drug tested and you're not protected federally uh, by doing that. In other right. words, you know, there's the this is still a uh, illegal substance, according to the federal government. And even if you are in a state where you have a medical marijuana card, you certainly can purchase cannabis and you can use that and it can make you feel better and do your job better. But it's still not acceptable at your job. And so we have a long way to go to to bring reality into science.
0: Wow. You know, what what a big complexity of interplaying forces you just described, Dr. Conan. And you're really at a wonderful pinnacle to have an overview and expertise and also have a voice um, within all those different aspects. So we so appreciate that you were our guest today right here on The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z.
1: Well, it's great to be here. I really thank you for the opportunity.
0: And thank you, listeners, for joining us again once more right here on The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z, which we bring you every week on Progressive Radio Network, PRN.FM. We have listeners literally all over the world, and we love to hear from you. So get in touch. Just go to naturalnurse.com. Uh, or facebook the natural nurse let us know what you enjoy about the show what you don't enjoy about the show or some specific content you'd like to hear and we will bring it to you we have literally many thousands of shows and many of them are posted right at naturalnurse.com also at prn.com and we do shows on other networks as well so until next time this is your host ellen kamai the natural nurse hoping that you Stay healthy.